Speaking of Bibles, turn in yours to Matthew chapter 13 with me, and we are going to jump into our final parable of, of, the, ser- of the series that we've been in. Um, it's funny because this is the f- we're, we're talking about the final parable today, but actually it's Jesus' real first parable in the book of Matthew um, that we're going to look at today. You know, I, I love, absolutely love re-watching TV shows, um, but I don't know why. It, it, it may be that it, I know what's going to happen, it's, maybe it's nostalgia, I know it's some of the fa- shows my family used to watch, um, I, used to, I still love watching them just because it's, it's nostalgia, I, I love thinking about those times. Or maybe it's something that I don't have to really focus really hard on while I'm doing the dishes, you sort of know what's happening so you can just keep going. And I think we can all agree, though, that reruns give us a completely different feel than watching something for the first time. Like, like for example, if I were to sit down and watch or rewatch the U.S. play the Netherlands in the World Cup last fall, it would not give me any excitement, any hopefulness, anything like that, because we lose 3-1. Instead, it's just like the just that dread of waiting to that final whistle. It's just like, come on, are we done yet? But watching, reading, hearing, experiencing something for the first time is such a different experience than watching it or reading it or, or experiencing it in those subsequent times. It's just, it is what it is, especially with how it connects with you, right? And so when starting a new book or a new TV series, it, it causes us to begin to ask those questions of, oh, oh, who is this person? Or what's going to happen? Or, or how is this going to connect with the rest of the story? We get like this, this like intimate involvement in the story, right? But that doesn't happen as well with rewatches or rereads and reruns. We sort of lose that connection because we know what's going to happen. I don't think we're any less invested in the story. Like, if you read a book that you really enjoy multiple times, as my wife is shaking her head because that's what I do over and over again, you don't lose the excitement or you don't lose the investment in the story, but we can kind of miss that punch, right? The, 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 like, the wow factor of the story. Well, today's passage is extremely familiar to anyone who's been in church for, for any amount of time. Today, we're looking at the parable of the sower, found in Matthew, um, starting, Matthew 13, starting with verse 1. And hearing this parable many times doesn't take the truth away from what it is, but my, my, my hope is that we can bring it, we can come to it with some fresh eyes. And so here, here are three things I want us to do as we get ready to read this passage. Number one, do your best to read it with the ears of those hearing it the first time. That's our goal. Hear it as if you're hearing it for the very first time. Do your best to listen to this parable in a way that's like fresh. Does that make sense? Follow the story in your mind without, and here's the temptation that I always have, without assessing value or meaning to it yet. Because I know that comes later. It does, and that's fine. That's good. But listen for the first time. Second thing, look for the main point. I love how Pastor Mike has been talking for a while about when you step into so many of our parables. Our parables are like a house that have many rooms, many doors that you can go through. And that's true with this one. And we will see a couple of those rooms or those doors we'll go through. But I want you guys to be listening for what is like that big punch, that big aha, that big okay landing. All right? Because there's going to be this like juxtaposition or this, this, this thing where a one clearly against the others. Okay? Does that make sense? That's number two. Number three, 
let this truth that you're going to hear change your perspective. Change the way you think about it. By the end, we're going to have a clear challenge from Jesus. Embrace that. Okay? Those are my three rules. Are you ready for this? So, like I said, this is beginning the third of five teaching passages that Jesus has recorded in Matthew. And it's sort of the first big chunk of him addressing the kingdom of heaven and him as Messiah. Okay? Leading up to this chapter, multiple people were trying to figure out who Jesus was. John the Baptist sent a bunch of of his disciples to ask about Jesus and if he was the Messiah. The Pharisees continued to press him on his authority to heal, to forgive sins, and to cast out demons. We even learned that his own family was having a hard time understanding who Jesus was. You see, at this time, the Jews assumed that when the Messiah arrived, everyone would flock to him. And he would usher in this unmistakably great political kingdom that would bring them away from their oppressors. But it's here in chapter 13 that Jesus begins to teach the true nature of the kingdom of heaven. Look with me at verse 1. And remember, first time years. Find the main point and receive it. All right? Chapter 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him so that he got into the boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprung up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he, who will, and he will have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says this. You will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but not perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their eyes they can barely hear. And their eyes they have, or with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And understand with their hearts. And turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let's pray. Father, your word is true and you are faithful. Your spirit guides us. Lord, help us to hear your word today, I pray in your son's name. Amen. So, 
Jesus is speaking from a boat on the water at a place along the Sea of Galilee. And it's, it's now called the Cove of the Parables. We've got a picture of it here. I, I think it's absolutely beautiful. This location offers this great acoustical advantage in that it helps him project his voice. It's shaped kind of like a smaller version of the Ruoff Music Center. I don't know if anybody's been there in Noblesville. It has sort of that, like, that stair stating, and it allows it to project. And so, I'll take, actually, I'll take you a step further, because I'm cool and got on Google Earth Street View, and I found this next one here. I love that. Yeah, I just, I said, they need to see all the screenshots, so clearly it's from my computer. That's fine. I imagine not, not much has changed since the day that Jesus spoke. But, I mean, updated path, updated road, now there's a fence, that kind of thing. But do you notice something in the picture here? We've got the path, we've got the rocky soil, we've got the weeds, and then we've got the ground with, with, the, with, the, um, with the produce, which I think those are olive trees. Not much has changed, right? I love that. You can take that off now, Chris, that's fine. Um, so there by the sea, in Jesus' opening words about the kingdom of heaven, he gives this parable. How did you try? How did, how did it work for you trying to listen to it first time? Yes, no, kind of iffy. I know, again, for me, every time I immediately go to that, the, the second part of this, of this parable and to the explanation, it's hard. Well, did you catch the main point? Did you see which soil was the ideal one? Yes, no. I'm, si- I'm tired too. I get that. It's okay. Yeah, no, the last one, right? And not only because Jesus said it was good, but because it produced fruit, right? Right? We may miss this today, but actually Jesus, what he's doing here is he's giving this extra emphasis that should make clear that the last soil is the ideal one. In in verse 8, he tells us how much fruit or how much grain it produced. It says, uh, um, um, like, you know, the, the 30, the 60, and the 100 fold, Right? And most likely what's going on is he's actually got wheat in his mind because he uses wheat more, uh, more later. And, and so here's what I did. Again, I'm super cool. I actually asked Cameron Colbert how many berries, well, berries, kernels on wheat. I, I couldn't figure that out, but we're going to go with ba- uh, kernels. Berries? Grains? Sure. How many of those are on one head of wheat? And he told me 53. So thanks, Cameron, for literally just walking out in the field and taking one grain or one, one stock and counting for me. Jesus said, and I, we need to catch this, Jesus said um, that, the, that, that the grain in the good soil produced 30, 60, and 100 kernels. Well, I read earlier this week that for, um, for, for the, the, the crop at the time, because the wheat has advanced so much today, the crop at the time, a good stock of wheat would have 10 pieces of, of fruit and 15 pieces of fruit if it was like a really good one. So Tipton County grows uh, 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 wheat that produces 53 kernels. And at this time, 15 was good. So we can see that 30-fold, that 60-fold, that 100-fold was Jesus really emphasizing this is good soil. This is right And anyone who has farmed or gardened any amount of time knows the purpose of planting grain seeds, vegetable seeds, and any other kind of seeds is for that plant to produce fruit, right? We begin to pick up on this. Not only 
excuse me, notice that in only one soil is fruit produced. And it is. It's that last one. All the others don't produce mature plants that produce fruit. So that's it, right? Sermon over. Good soil produces mature fruit. We can go home. Amen, right, okay. <laughs> no, not many of us in this room, um, no, I should say many of us in this room, sense that there's, there's more to it, right? If we've, if we've read this before, we know that there's more. There's something deeper that if we dig in a little bit, we find it. We know that Jesus wasn't just telling this story to talk to us about basic farming. All Jews knew that when a teacher spoke in parables, they were speaking of something more than what was on the surface. And I think if we were to be honest with ourselves, we, we, we sense that too, right? The disciples also knew that. That's why they approached Jesus in verse 10 and said, hey, hey, Jesus, why are you teaching in parables? Because, you know, if they spoke really loud, they would, everybody else would hear, right? Well, their question shows us that, number one, they knew that the parable was happening and that there was more. But also, number two, it shows us that they didn't know the deeper meaning, which is why Jesus explains it later. And so Jesus answers their question in verse 11. And he says, he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now, the word secrets in verse 11 um, has also been translated in, in some English translation to mysteries. Now, the mysteries are not like Sherlock Holmes' whodunit mysteries, which is another one of those ones I like to read over and over and over again. No, it's more like when, when the scientists split open the atom and found more stuff inside. It was like it was always there, they just didn't understand it. So when Jesus says the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, he's referring to something that was not understood in the Old Testament, but is now being revealed in the New Testament. Things that weren't known, but that are becoming known. Because, you know, we know that many of the Old Testament writers and prophets, we can think like Jeremiah and Isaiah, spoke of a Messiah who would come and rescue God's people, bringing them back into right relationship with him. The Jewish people were waiting for this Messiah, but what they didn't know was what kind of Messiah they should expect. You see, many, time, many, many in Jesus' time, and even before that, thought the Messiah would conquer through physical strength and political power that he would rise up in military and political power, banishing their oppressors to bring the Jews back into a state of prominence in the area, never to be brought low again. But here's the rub. The Messiah's rescue would actually come through humble love and horrible yet life-giving death on the cross. And one of, those, one of these audiences today didn't get that. Here's what I mean. Matthew's purpose in writing his gospel was to make known the kingdom of heaven and that it had come and that God had sent his Messiah and that that's Jesus. That was the purpose of Matthew. And up through Matthew 12, Jesus had taught about himself being the Messiah, bringing to earth the kingdom of heaven. He had healed people, cast out demons in a way that shows that he is the Messiah. He had given them evidences like, I don't know, walking on water, stopping big storms in the sea. He gave evidences. And he even declared himself to be Messiah by, being, by saying, I am the Son of Man and the Lord of the Sabbath. But they refused to believe him. 
And so Jesus speaks to them in parables because their hearts are hard to the truth that he is the Messiah. In fact, in verses 14 and 15, Jesus compares the people on the banks of the sea that he's speaking to to the people who refused God's words that Isaiah spoke. In verse 12, Jesus pronounces on them this saying. He says, even what they have will be taken away. Even the word that they have heard, the things that they have, sne- that they have seen, that will be taken away. But Jesus says there's another audience too. Those who have faith to believe in the secrets Jesus was revealing about the kingdom of heaven. God in his mercy gave the disciples, and and honestly, according to Mark 4, there were actually others besides the 12 disciples there that, that were asking him these questions as well. He gave them, God gave them the ears to hear and the hearts to receive the truths about the kingdom of God. And so for those who trusted Jesus to be the promised Messiah and the king, the parables helped them understand the kind of kingdom he was ushering in and the type of king that Jesus would be. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. To you more will be given. And then he goes on in verse 16. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see and hear what you hear and did not hear. These verses are full of God's mercy and grace. In fact, they're flowing with God's mercy and grace. Who blessed their eyes and ears? Who revealed the secrets to them? Who gave them more? God did. God did. But why did God do this? Because the disciples were more humble or better or more religious? No. It came down to God's mercy. And so for the rest of the time, here's what I want to do for us. I want us to draw applications from Jesus' explanation of the parable. We've tried listening with the ears of the first year. We've seen Jesus' point is that the good soil is the one that produces good fruit. And now what we're going to do is we're going to try to work to understand what God is calling us to. Does it make sense? So we've got the first two, now we're going to do the third one. My hope is to honestly both encourage those in the room who are Christ followers as well as those who are exploring the faith or kicking the tires, whatever you want to use. So let's look at verses 18 through 23. Hear then the parable of the sower. Again, this is Jesus speaking. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has already been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what's sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and yet another thirty. So after, after answering their question, Jesus dives in and explains the parable. And so 
Real quick, real simple. Jesus is the sower. The seeds are the gospel, the message of salvation for, from sin. And the four types of soil are the four heart conditions of people. And I, I want to take a moment and look at each of the four types of soil. And I honestly have to give credit to David Platt because for the names that, of these four different hearts because he came up with them, and he did a lot better than I ever could have. So, I'll, yeah, honestly. So the first one is this, the hard heart. The hard heart. This is the one who rejects Jesus, and so the devil snatches the good news from them. Church, can I be honest with you? Each one of us sitting here, and those in the live stream as well, hear me. Someone can go to church their entire life, warm the seats right here in front of me, and still have a hard heart. The hard-hearted person can sit in this chair, hear the words being said, but never let it affect them. If that is you, wake up and let the word of God penetrate your heart. The second one is this, the superficial heart. The superficial heart. This is the heart that receives the gospel with joy. But when the pressure to conform to the cultural narrative comes, or when faith costs them something, they fold to that pressure. Notice when the intense sun comes in Jesus' parable, the seed withers. The superficial heart believes in God. They prayed the prayer, but years later there is no evidence of heart change. They aren't growing and the pressure to conform to those around them is too great. And when the heat of suffering for Jesus' sake is on, they wither. If this is you, let the word of God take root and allow it to grow in you and produce fruit. That's the superficial heart. The next one is the divided heart. The divided heart. This is the heart that receives the gospel but then it gets pushed out because of concerns over money or the cares of this world begin to squeeze it out. It's, it's interesting that a thorn or a weed doesn't immediately destroy a plant. In fact, I think of those, those weeds that tend to crawl up the plant and begin to choke it out when I, when I read this one. And then weeds begin to suck out the nutrients of the soil, the vital nutrients that the plant needs. You see, the divided heart begins to grow but then it gets distracted. Consumed by the day-to-day, I need to do X first kind of lists. This stunts and chokes out the gospel in their hearts. The divided hearts get stuck in the desire for things and wealth. If this is you, set your eyes on Christ, the thing that will not go away, the everlasting, and not those things that will waste away. Grow, produce fruit. That's the divided heart. The last one is this, the fruitful heart. The fruitful heart. Jesus says to the disciples that they have a fruitful heart. This is the heart that receives the word, understands it, and allows it to change them, causing it to grow into maturity and produce fruit. You see, the, the quantity of fruit may be different for each person. And Jesus said, that's fine. But either way, it's there. Do you want to know if your heart is the good soil? Look for the fruit. Are the fruits of the spirits from Galatians 5 growing in your life? 
If you're a parent with Rock Prairie kids, ask them to tell you what those fruits of the Spirit are. They've been memorizing this passage the last month, all of the month of June. As they recite it, ask yourself, am I seeing these things in my life? I want to offer a, a, of an encouragement to Christ followers and, and, and a call to those who may not have received God's grace. First of all, Christians, my brothers and sisters, do you know what's interesting about wheat stalks? The fruit that it produces, yes, can be eaten, but it can also be planted and produce more fruit. Jesus gave the disciples this message of salvation, which is the gospel. It grew in them. It produced fruit in them. Jesus then commands them and us to spread the gospel to the whole earth. You see, the disciples spread the gospel, and that's one of the reasons why I love the book of Acts, is it shows what God was doing through the disciples, through the apostles, to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. In spreading the gospel, fruit will be produced, and then it will produce more fruit. And as you plant those seeds, fruit and seeds, fruit and seeds. You see God's design? Do you see God's design in this? At Rock Prairie, it is our greatest desire to glorify God by making Christ known from what? Our neighbors to the nations. Yes, many of us know that this is our mission and that it comes from the command that Jesus gives the disciples in Matthew 28. The commands of Jesus himself to bring the good news that was planted in our hearts to the nations. It starts with Jesus. He clearly proclaimed the gospel to people with all four heart conditions. And here's the kicker. He did it without reservation. He did it no matter what. Not all received it. Those who did produced fruit. But the same is true for the disciples and the same ought to be true for us. I know it is gut-wrenching when we point others to Jesus through the gospel and it falls on deaf ears. I know that. It is hard. It can be discouraging to see someone appear to receive it, but then it withers. It's hard to watch as others allow the gospel to be choked out in their lives. But hear me, as a brother in Christ, do not give up. The gospel is worth it. It's worth the hard work, the nights praying, the heartaches felt. Remember this, and this one always, this all, this one always gets me. It almost is like this, this feeling of, of, okay, well, I'm not going to let that happen. We have an enemy who wants you to pick and choose who you point to Jesus. He wants you to be discouraged. He wants you to give up. He wants you to feel like those people are hopeless. Don't give up. Keep sowing seeds. Pray for missionaries. Let those in your life hear the gospel. Pray that the soil of their hearts would be ready to receive the gospel. And if you're sitting here today and you haven't received the great gift of God's grace through the gospel, if you haven't humbled yourself before God and received the good news that you are broken and lost in your sin and you can do nothing about it, and you can't even pay God back for running away from him. I love this, but God. In his great mercy, in his grace, sent his son to pay the debt that you and I owe? Let that sink in. He lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death that you deserve. 
But he rose from the dead, making a way for us to be a part of the kingdom of God by restoring us to a right relationship with him. If you haven't received that grace, I urge you, receive it. A right relationship with God is worth letting go of everything else. Your status, your pride, your wealth, your security. And when you do, you receive so much more. I invite you to allow God to cultivate your hearts to receive the seeds of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I, I can't thank you enough for your grace, for your mercy, for the seeds that you've planted in my life and the opportunities that you've given me to grow and produce fruit and to spread those seeds. God, I pray for those in this room that are processing this, that are thinking, which heart am I, God? I pray that you would work in them and bring them to, to be good soil for the gospel, to, to grow and mature and produce fruit in them. I pray that for all of us, God, in your son's name. Amen.